Hold me from the raging sea And I am safe on this solid ground The Lord is my salvation Okay, well, it is Sunday, May 14th, 2023. Welcome to our Shike Fellowship Sunday service. Uh, thank you for being with us here today. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, of course, it's Mother's Day, so hopefully you got a chance, or will get a chance, um, to celebrate uh, this day with your families. If you do have, um, you know, a mother at home who you can celebrate with, I know it's not a reality for everyone, and so for some it could be a day of perhaps a little bit of pain. Um, but uh, still, there are mothers in this world that we ought to celebrate and to remember uh, in terms of their just. You know, parenting over us and their care over us. Um, so remember them this day. Um, but today we gather, of course, as the church to remember Christ. And so as we are welcomed into, the God, into God's presence uh, by his word and by his will, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come together as the church, as the saints and as the saints and, and, uh, and as the believers of Jesus Christ and his gospel, to worship him and to give honor and glory to his name. Brothers and sisters, you join me and rise from your seats as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to read to you from Psalm 25 as a call to worship as, um, again, the Lord invites us into his presence to worship him. It's uh, important that we begin this time in uh, meaningful prayer, and prayer that is, of course, lifted to our Lord, prayer of repentance, as we will briefly do as well. So let me read Psalm 25. If it helps, you can uh, close your eyes and meditate on these words. These are the words of the psalmist. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the psalmist here expresses some things that I think are quite compelling. And I think they're important for us as we uh, as we consider at this time our posture and attitude as we come before God in worship. He begins with an exaltation of God that he lifts up his soul to the Lord, that he trusts in him. He expresses this uh, grandly in this text. Um, and his concern is this, that do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. And then there's this truth that he rests upon, that there's indeed, of course, none of these things. Um, true in the life of the believer. And then there is this, of course, this appeal. And there are beautiful appeals. And I think if you need content for your prayers this afternoon, 
It is this, make me know your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth. If that's a prayer that you'd like to pray this afternoon and maybe perhaps assists in templating um, how you construct your prayer as you come before God at this time, I hope it can be of some assistance to you. Once again, to know his ways and asking him to teach him or teach you his paths and asking God to lead you in his truth. What a beautiful, beautiful prayer we could pray to the Lord. This time, let's close our eyes as we pray prayer, a prayer silently in our hearts and also a prayer of confession of sin, prayer of repentance as we come before God. Um, let's pray to this holy God of ours. First John 1 John 1.9, once again, it reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is an absolute truth. It's an absolute promise in Scripture, and it's something we can always hold firm to. Uh, even in the life that we live, a life so full of sin, we can come before God in faith and confess our sins before him. Let's pray together in our hearts, and then um, I'll wrap up this time. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jeremiah 33, verse 8. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. promise I always express to you each week because it's so important for us to be in constant reminder of how the Lord is the one who cleanses us. There is nothing uh, that we can do with our hands to cleanse us of our sins. I'd like to draw your attention to the screen at this time. It's a momentous day. It's Mother's Day, of course, but today is also the final day of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Isn't that amazing? 107 Sundays going through the Shorter Catechism. You're probably feeling like, oh, I'm so glad he didn't do the longer catechism. <laughs> That's coming next. No, I'm just kidding. Um, question 107 reads, what does the conclusion the Lord's Prayer teach us? What does this conclusion to the Lord's Prayer teach us? The answer reads, the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It teaches us to take our encouragement in prayer from God only. And in our prayers to praise him, ascribing kingdom, power, and glory to him. I don't really think there's anything for me to explain further than that. I think the catechism does it justice does it not i mean what more is there to add to that answer it teaches us to take our encouragement prayer from god only that encouragement truly comes from god and god alone and that in our prayers um, or in this prayer and the conclusion to this prayer and perhaps conclusion to all of our prayers is to remember to praise god it's no wonder in the psalms that we see this as a constant pattern of the psalmist prayers ascribing kingdom power and glory all to him.
be reminded of this and how powerful it is to be reminded of this this day. Allow me to uh, pray and intercede on our behalf, and then our praise team will lead us in a time of song. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the, the gathering of the saints, and we thank you for this church, and we thank you for this community. Yes, at times, perhaps a thorn in our sides, and at times a little difficult and you know, hard to mingle with other believers. Certainly, church is not ever easy. Lord God, we're so thankful. We're thankful that we have a community of men and women who really consider uh, you as a high God, that we have a high view of God, we have a high view of Scripture, and we long and we desire to see this church continue to grow and to be molded and shaped by these convictions. We ask, O oh Lord, that not only would our knowledge increase, but, but our practice and our conduct and our life and our holiness and all these things individually would grow as well that our faith in you would grow continuously. Lord God, we look to the psalmist today in Psalm 25, and we see the, this incredible appeal. He writes, make me know your ways, teach me your paths, lead, lead me in your truth. It's something we need daily, that we need to know your ways, to be taught your paths, and to be led in your truth. So Lord, would that, would that prayer be a prayer upon us at this time? As we come before you, and as we've confessed our sin, as we come before you, O holy God, I know we're not worthy and that we're deserving, but Lord God, that we come before you in gratitude and in humility, and we ask that our posture would reflect that. And, we, and I also ask, Lord Father, that as we, all of us, each person in this room, come before you to worship, that our hearts and our focus and our minds and everything would just be centered and turned to you properly, that we would be centered upon you at this time, that our worship would not be um, something that is so centric to us, but rather completely centric to you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. In accordance with your will, he died on that cross. He became a sacrifice once for all for many. We thank you for that gift. And we ask, O oh Lord, that we will be in remembrance of him at this time. We're reminded again that the cleansing of our sins are only possible by the blood of Christ. As we sing these songs to you, would you be lifted? Would you be honored and would you be glorified as we saw in the final petition of, or final aspect of the petition of the Lord's Prayer that we ascribe kingdom, power, and glory to you always. We thank you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's rise from our seats and sing songs to him.
Still. 
going to continue our sermon series in the gospel of mark so let's turn to mark chapter 6 last week we read of course verses 1 to 6 today we'll be looking at verses 7 to 13 that's mark chapter 6 verses 7 to 13 if you have a bible please open to it and uh i'll read from my bible and you can follow in yours mark 6 7 to 13 in the opening six verses, we saw Jesus' return uh, to Nazareth, his hometown, and uh, on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue. And what we read last week, of course, um, is this um, just brief um, but powerful discourse um, and a dialogue that ensues between Jesus and um, his hometown people, right? And of course, he's not met with much uh, adoration, but rather with rejection. So we looked at the contents of those verses. Today we see a passage, I think, that uh, if you've ever been on a mission trip, some Korean missionary out there has read this passage to you. So this is Mark 6, verses 7 to 13. This is the word of God. And he, Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, just go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Amen. Word of God. A peculiar text, um, peculiar in the sense that uh, up until this point, disciples have not proven themselves to be really mission, missionary worthy, if you will. Here they're sent out on a mission trip. Uh, before the Syrian war, between, um, if you know what's happening in Syria, of course, in the latter half of the 2010s, there was an unfortunate um, like a civil war that uh, broke out in Syria, and the government retaliated with uh, military might, basically demolished all the rebellion. Um, and so Bashar al-Assad, currently the president of Syria, is under basically what would be defined as a tyrannical dictatorship over, the, over that country. Um, and so the country's been under lockdown, and, and you really haven't been able to freely enter this country since then. Now, prior to that, our church did uh, about four summers of mission trips in Syria to Damascus and then the upper regions of Aleppo and some other cities. Um, and I had an opportunity to partake in two of them. Um, and we went with an organization uh, from Korea, like a mission organization. And um, I don't know how biblical they would be considered among you. Uh, but regardless, you know, missionary organization, they were sent out. But their whole thing is this. They send you out into like a random town. So I got dropped off with my 
what we call like chondusanim evangelists, right? Um, we literally, actually, it was Josh's dad. Like Josh King, yeah, your dad and I, we got dropped off like literally uh, in the middle of this town in Syria, and uh, no bag, no money, no, definitely no bread. I wouldn't even really want to carry bread with me. Uh, we really had oh, like nothing, um, and we're just dropped off in the middle of nowhere. And we're told, with no language training, I don't speak any Arabic, um, we just have to figure it out. And we return uh, in about five days. And so, like, nothing, right? This is their whole concept. This is the whole concept of the missionary. They call it, like, field operation or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite interesting. Now, by the grace of God, and this is where, like, this organization gets their whole thing, right? is yeah we did find a place we made friends we had every night place to sleep we have food plenty of it and it was you know like a mission trip like we shared the gospel and we did our thing right uh, now whether you agree with the methodology or the philosophy is is secondary um i just wanted to share this because i think it's interesting right that people take a text like this and i think the common sermon that you would hear that you're not going to hear today the common sermon that you would hear on this text is this, is this, like, hey, like, look at this. Jesus equips us. He goes out. Like, we're supposed to go on missions, you know, two by two, if you will. And uh, we're supposed to be reliant, right? Hudson Taylor would, would probably um, advocate for this, right? That we are to rely and trust in the Lord's provision uh, for all resources that are necessary for the completion of his mission. And the missional work is, you know, to be done in this sort of reliant attitude, right? And absolutely, there is a... a, a an absolute truth in that. There's nothing, you know, uh, too problematic with that thinking, nor too problematic with that sermon. But I think what gets lost when we focus on our effort, what we do, and how we partake of mission, is we forget the authority of Christ in mission. And this has kind of been my sort of gripe with, um, I mean, having worked with a missionary organization, um, this has been my gripe with missional things, right? It's always about what can we do? Go, do this, do that, right? And that's true, but it must be coupled with this understanding of the divine authority that is willing those things to happen, occur, and to succeed, right? Everyone loves that passage, right? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. It's like, workers are few, so we need you. Yeah, but the harvest is plentiful. Like, God guarantees a harvest, even though the workers are few, right? So one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith in life that has continued to mesmerize me, perplex me, if you will, is God's willingness and active eagerness to involve his people, the church, into his mission. Now, you might ask, why does that mesmerize you, Max? Isn't that like a very common biblical understanding? The idea that the perfect creator of the universe would enable, equip, and entrust his imperfect creature, you and I, the very thing that imperfected his creation to continue and participate in his mission for the world. That perplexes me. It would be like this. It would be like da Vinci putting a brush in my hand and guiding my strokes to paint the Mona Lisa. Why? Why would he do that? Now, why God asks, in fact, he demands why God asks and why he demands that we partake as active participants in a multitude of capacities to unfold his missional will for the world is really a challenging thought in at least my mind because the Bible reinforces, in my mind, a high view of God and a low view of humanity. I think that's proper. 
But time and time again in Scripture, story after story, we see this very pattern of God's practices. He calls Noah to build an ark, Moses to free Israel, Solomon to build the temple, prophets to herald his, words, his word to Israel. Now there's a summoning of God's people, a call upon them to act, a promise of his divine partnership and an ultimate goal. Once again, there's a summoning of God's people, a call upon them to act, a promise of his divine partnership, and an ultimate goal to achieve. It's really no different than our individual Christian lives either. We are summoned to him by his will, effectually called to him. We are sent as, as his messengers. We are, in fact, all, in some sense, a missionary in this world by his divine, and what is it by? By his divine authority, his promise, and we are to herald the message of Christ's one true gospel. Now, we're called to be sent. That's today's sermon title, Called to be Sent. I remember reading a quote from some German scholars whose names escaped me, the writing of the sermon, and still to this day. I wish I had written down their names, but I, instead I just wrote down the quote. The quote is this, we're called out of this world to be sent right back into it. Speaking of God's effectual calling upon the elect to save them from this world, but at the same time, equipped and called to be sent into the world as his agents for mission. We see this template in today's text, so allow me to take some time to break this text down for you. So I'm not going to focus too much on the no bag, no bread, no money, you know, going two by two into the mission field, dust your feet off when they don't listen to you, etc. part. I'm going to focus on what I believe to be the divine authoritative word of Christ, administering everything that happens here today. So four points to today's sermon. Summoned by God, sent in pairs, by the authority of Christ, preach repentance. Four things. Firstly, summoned by God. Note that the first action of Christ is the summoning of the twelve. Now this may seem like a minor detail in the grand scheme of things. Surely it might be. But it sets the tone and stage for what is to come. I like the term here, to summon. You might remember the, these words from John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We are summoned at the word of God, with the hand of God, by the will of God. It is only the summoned who are sent as instruments of God. Now the summoning call of the master of his servant, for example. They are summoned for what purpose? To complete a task on behalf of the master or for the master. Being summoned by a master who is disgraceful or underwhelming would be a torturous task if you were the servant. But to be summoned into the presence of God to fulfill his word is nothing less for the believer in honor and privilege. A privilege, truly. Humanity has grown so benevolent and ignorant of God that we tend to think that we are the ones who summon him. Right? On our deathbeds, Oh, God, please save my life. Right before an exam, save my school life. <laughs> Buying a lottery ticket. Eric, right? <laughs> By the way, if Eric ever wins the lottery, like, talk to him now because he's willing to give you $100,000. As you find that partner that you would like to spend the rest of your life with and you have to, in hesitation, ask them out. All these risky Gambles we take in life, so to speak, right? When business is not going too well, when we lose our jobs, when our car breaks down, when money is thin. 
we summon God. Is God your genie? Does he await your call of him? The very words of scripture begin with God's summoning of all of existence into reality at his word. And nothing has changed since then. All of creation summons to God's call, not the other way around. We have seen at the word of Christ, the storm settle, demons flee, pain cease, death is even conquered. Never forget this, O beloved. You are summoned by God. Point two, sent in pairs. Focus is the sending, the sentness. Two things to note here. The disciples were sent at all. That they were sent at all. And that they were sent in pairs, which to some of you just could seem like a very cute detail. Oh, that's cute. They went in pairs. Just in case one is tired, the other one can help them out. It's for safety, right? So my teacher used to say, don't go to the washroom alone. Take a partner with you. It's for safety. As if, right? Like another kindergartner could help me when I'm in danger. It's ridiculous. I don't know where that idea came from. But in fact, there is an importance here that points to a future reality. Firstly, disciples being sent at all should be of shock to you, Siri, concerning the lackluster demonstration example that they have been thus far in Mark's gospel. It should be shocking considering what they've demonstrated so far. They've lacked faith, they've rebuked Jesus, they've questioned his thinking, They're cl- they have a clearly, like, they have a clear misunderstanding of the true identity and nature of Christ and his mission. And yet, and yet, they are sent in today's passage. They are sent not on merit or performance or even potential. They are just sent. And they are able to cast demons and heal the sick. So what does this teach us beyond the age-old lesson that God uses the weak and the lame? It points us to two places. First, it points us to God. That God is the one who is truly doing this work. And that despite human effort or comprehension of his work, or even, you know, just the capability of people, it will be done. His will will be done. Second, it points forward to what? The future apostolic ministry of at least 11 of these men. They don't know, and they know not what their future holds at this point in the narrative, but we know what is ahead, you and I know. When disciples read Mark for the first time or hear of it, they looked back at this episode in chapter 6 and realized in hindsight what Christ was pointing them forward towards. And just as this seemingly small-scale work was done by the word and power of Christ in them, of just going into these villages, healing the sick, casting out demons, and preaching repentance, so too will their apostolic ministry completely be done and and be reliant on the authority and power of Christ. Not on them. And that, of course, points even further ahead to the church today. That our work as the church is not ours alone. It is God's. It's God's church. And if truly commissioned by him, it will be done by his power alone. What you see on your phone screens are colors and bright lights and thousands of different functions at the touch of your fingertips. And what you don't see working invisibly behind each of those touch points 
every time you touch an app, every time you do something on your phone, it is all of these millions of different elements of engineering that go into the software and hardware, working in perfect unison so that you can make a phone call. Everything that you do on your phone. There's invisible work behind the visible work. There's visible work, yes, as the church, but it is completely reliant upon and it is actually done by the invisible hand that is truly at work. Do not forget that. To be called and sent means to trust that God will, not us. We also see the pairing off, the cute detail, if you will. Again, a promise of not just God's partnership with us, that he is with us, but his promise of what? Earthly partners as well. And we do nothing alone in God's kingdom. His work is done by him, through his people, and their unity in him. Our unity with him ultimately also means unity with one another. And we can't forget that. There's a lot of times, like, I'm, I'm that guy in the group project. I'm that group project guy that some of you might really enjoy. I'm that guy that, like, overtakes the project and just does everything on my own because I don't trust you. Um, and then you get whatever grade I get, right? <laughs> Um, I'm that guy because I just don't trust I don't trust people to do things properly right and so even in church at times this really like becomes like problematic because really as a pastor I should be delegating like administrative work and other things um, but a part of me is like Ugh. <laughs> right like not uh, no offense to you all but it's just a natural like it's a natural like disposition that I have and so it becomes difficult, right? And I have to be reminded of this, that gospel work is partner, partnership with fellow brother and sister. And I have to trust, and I have to work with and alongside, and I have to build each other up. I have to work towards that, that the church is that, right? It's not just me up here doing all of this, and then you're just witnessing, you come on Sunday, you watch it, and you go home, but that you are partaking in the ministry of the church. And I'm inviting you to that. Point three, by the authority of Christ. Whether we are summoned or called, and my argument is that both are realities for believers, we must remember the voice of the shepherd that calls his sheep and guides them where they go. That voice is a voice of authority, and it does not mean authority only in the sense that it is to be obeyed or simply a voice that holds weight and power and influence. It is a voice that knows best, and it is the very voice of the one who guarantees and promises partnership in where we are sent. It is not so much the voice of a general that is barking orders to his soldiers, but stands back and watches the war unfold. It is the voice like that of a king who stands on the front line of the battle with his men. I'm reminded of Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings, the promised king who is to return to the, thro uh, the throne of Gondor. And yet where this king is found is not on the throne of Gondor, but rather on the battlefield, claiming victory over the enemy alongside his men. This is the assurance of knowing that the authority of Christ is with us in everything we do for him. This conjures thoughts of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all the nations, he told his apostles, but assures them in the very end this, that he will be with them forever to the very end of the age. 
and yet he proceeds to ascend in heaven's glory. Can you imagine being the apostles or the disciples? Or imagine being Peter, right? You're on that mount, and Jesus is like, guys, go and make disciples of all nations. I am surely with you to the very end of the age. And you're like, yes, this is it. It's the very end of the age. This eternal global kingdom, like, this is great. And then he's like, slowly drifting away into like where are you going you just say you're going to be with us to the very end of the age and you're leaving (laughs) like this doesn't make sense right so being with them when christ said that that i'm surely with you to the very end of the age here's what he did not mean he did not mean i'll be right next to you holding your hand physically the whole time that you're instituting the church Being with them in their work for Christ meant something much more. It meant a presence that could always be counted on, despite his body not being there. And I think his ascension to heaven in that moment, and then those words of promise of, I am surely with you to the verity of the age, that those words echo to us today, and they mean much more now because if he had stayed there and he had helped them in the book of Acts, institute the church, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and start, and start the beginning of the church, and then he ascended? You know what we could say? Well, well, we could say, well, church was easy for them because they had Jesus next to them. But look at us now. We don't have Jesus next to us, so it's really hard. No, 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 you can't do that. You look to the very beginning of the New Testament church, and you realize they had to trust in Christ's word. They had to trust his promise. And so those words of I am surely with you to the very end of the age became universal at that moment. That every believer in this room could read Matthew 28 and realize, I can, I understand that. No excuses. Finally, preach repentance. Summoned and sent by the authority of Christ, but what then is our endeavor? What is the goal? What are we to accomplish? Some people think like this. Every time... I train a new trainee at work. I get really frustrated because they're so bad. But um, secondly, I get really frustrated because they're always like, yeah, but what's the goal? Like, what am I trying to do here? Mop the floor. Yeah, but like, how much of the floor? All of it. Do you want me to use hot water? Bro, are you dumb? I just, sometimes really stressful at work. (laughs) What is the endeavor? What is the goal? Here we see that the disciples are to minister in a multitude of ways and places they journey to. But ultimately, their message is singular. It's to preach repentance. Now, that may be too simple for some of you in terms of like, well, that's not the gospel. That's not the whole gospel. It's always those gospel heads, right? The theology nerds in the club. That's not the gospel, right? This is not an unfamiliar message, brothers and sisters. In the earlier chapters of Mark, we saw that the Baptist, John the Baptist, ministry was one marked by the message of believe and repent. Christ echoes that message himself in his earthly ministry as we continue to read in Mark. Turning back even further to the Old Testament, we see that the minor prophets preached the same message, remember Jonah, to the Ninevites. And to the very onset of church history in Israel's history, we see that time and time again, when God's people sin, the message is to repent and to believe. Turn from sin, turn to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the ministry of the church 
is not to heal the sick or cast out demons from this world. It is not to run programs or have really sound structure. I bring that up on purpose because that's the knock on Sheepgate, isn't it? It's like, oh, no structure. That church has no structure. Everyone tells me we lack structure. Everywhere I go, they're like, oh, you guys are doing great, but you guys have no structure. Have you ever seen a structure being built? I've been, recently, I've been like re- rebutting them with this. Say, you ever see a building being built? And they go like, yeah. And this is what I tell them. I say, you know what they do first? They dig. They dig a hole. Really big hole. And you know what they do? They build a really dang good foundation. That's what I'm trying to do. Structure will come. I don't pride, I don't plan to go to God and boast of our church structure. I plan to go to God and boast that my congregation stood on Christ, the solid rock. The ministry of the church is to preach the gospel. For it is a message that regards the person of Christ and his accomplished work that is applied in us that enables faith and repentance properly. Brothers and sisters, may our church be one that preaches repentance. In conclusion, I must say this. I've pondered throughout the years of what the exact ministry of the church is. Now I know I just said, like, our ministry is to preach the gospel. Yes. But I like to work on the fringes and the details of things. What is our mandate? What is our call? In the book that we're reading together uh, in our DGs, for example, I think Sinclair Ferguson does an excellent job of really outlining to us the ministry of the church and what it means both on an independent and individual level and as well as on the level of the community and then globally as the church. What is our mandate? What is our call? The church's purpose is to partake in the mission of God is the answer I came to rest on. Now that may be too simplified in English, I could probably add more nuance and detail. Does that sound too simple and lacking to you? Is your theological mind like ringing alarms and red flags and saying, that can't be? Then let me ask you this, what is the purpose of the church? To be the body of Christ? To be his bride? To mature believers? To worship God? Well, what is it? From Old Testament Israel to New Testament church, our purpose has not changed. It's to steward God's kingdom and grow it. We're to herald and emphatically preach with clarity the saving message of Jesus to the world, all within and outside the church. The church's purpose, the call upon the elect, is to partake in the missional work of God, and this should excite us. It's kind of why I want to take you to CrossCon, so you kind of get like fired up. And Turkey, too, by the way. Now, those of you who are sitting there going, mm, I still don't know about this one. Let me appeal to the Westminster version of this. Westminster chapter 25.1. The church is the body of the faithful, consisting of those throughout the world who outwardly profess faith together with their children. This is otherwise known as the visible church. Still not a believer? Here's R.C. Sproul in the church. The change we need to work for chiefly is renewal within the church. As the church becomes the fellowship of citizens of heaven who manifest what it means to be the household of Christ, and when the church walks according to the power of the Holy Spirit, then the people of God will shine as the light of the world. 
When people see that light, they will give glory to God. This, he says, will change the world. Our burden is to carry that message into the world by living as salt and light within it, to preach the gospel of repentance and belief, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the work of Christ and the person of Christ. We are to be his messenger, his ambassador, and we're to live it out and to share it with our words. That's why any gospel work you do must be in the context of the church. Why? Because God has willed the church to be the beacon of that message, the institution upon which that mission is unfolded. That is not to say that work in other organizations, like parachurch organizations, isn't valid. I used to work for a parachurch organization. I'm not saying those, that work is invalid. But that work must partner with the church. This is something I learned emphatically during my time as a staff on campus. I look back at how many leaders I enabled to serve so faithfully on campus while ignoring their absence at church. Ah, oh, man. I was so desperate to have leaders. I did those kids wrong. I taught the wrong thing. I repent a lot for that. I did them dirty. I made it seem like campus was enough. Brothers and sisters, may we be a church that heralds this gospel. May we be a church that is salt and light in a world that needs this message so desperately. That's my prayer for all of you and a prayer for this community. And with that, let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time in your word. We're briefly at this moment going to take a... Um, or shortly, going to take a brief moment of reflection on this word. But before, I wanted to pray. I wanted to pray for this community. I wanted this church to hear the prayer of their pastor for this community. That my heart goes out to them. As, of course, as your heart does. My heart is no comparison to yours. I hope and pray, Lord Father, that their heart would break for the lost their lives would become Christ-centered. Not for the sake of boasting in holiness or boasting in growth or maturation or, or achieving any sort of standard or, or titles in the church, but for the purposes that we've just outlined here, that we are able to be light to this dark world. That one day others would come and give glory to God. Pray this in Christ's name. Brothers and sisters, let's take a moment to reflect on God's word and then we'll respond in song.
rise from our seats and sing together. My 
mercy by your missional heart for the world, the very same heart that saved us. We ask that you would instill in us a heart for the lost, a heart for the bro- uh, for those who are um, who don't know you, those who are without the gospel, those are who are without the church, without the word, um, and, they, and they need it so. And so, Father, would you just give us a heart uh, for such people, and may we be constantly prayerful and considering perhaps what our participation and activity in that mission might be. And as a church and as a community, that our heart for missions would never be lost. That all that we do would reflect a desire to see those who don't know Christ, that they would come to know him as Savior and Lord. We give to you, Lord Father, this offering. Uh, We give to you cheerful hearts. We give because um, we give from what little we have and we give because we hope and long to see ministry of this church and the ministry of this community continue to grow um, not for the sake of Shike but for the sake of Christ's kingdom and we ask that Lord that you would continue uh, to be faithful to us in providing you know the little or much that we have and that we could be good stewards of those resources and uh, continue to use them and allot them for the greater good of your name we pray all this in Christ's name amen you may be seated Thank you for being with us here today. Pardon me if my words are a little slurred today or if I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know, look a little tired. I had a, had a 10K run this morning and like may never do it again. <laughs> um, welcome, Sheepgate. Uh, welcome all of you. It's a pleasure and honor to be with all of you today. Uh, for those of you who are with us, we thank you. And for those of you who are perhaps unable to be with us in person for whatever reason, Uh, We hope and pray that this time has been a blessing to you. Uh, Today's Mother's Day, so again, if you have a mother at home that you're able and willing to celebrate, uh, perhaps you should consider that. Um, Don't mean to take uh, this evening away from you or anything like that, Um, but whatever time you can spend with them, spend with them. Uh, Mother's Day, of course, not like a Christian holiday or anything like that, or we don't mean to advocate anything so-called pagan. Uh, but, um, you know, I think it's important, right, in a world that continues to redefine what family is and marriages and all these things, that we have such a thing as Mother's Day. I saw on Twitter, there was, like, this whole outrage over Mother's Day, and, like, this one company, I forgot what it was, just, like, a regular secular company, they were, like, oh, like, oh, no, it was, like, a TDSB school or something, they were, like, oh, yeah, something about mothers, and, like, people got cheese because, like, mothers and all that, like, what is a mother these days, right? But anyways, we know what a mother is, and so we celebrate them. And so if you can, and if you love them, please do. Um, offerings can be sent um, two ways. Firstly, we do have a very nice wooden basket in the back, and there's envelopes, and you can give that way. There's a really interesting ethical conversation I had with a bunch of uh, PCA guys this last Monday about e-transfers, cash, like what's appropriate. One church kind of does this thing. They give out like tokens to each person um, as they walk through the door of the church, and uh, they give the token and then you just e-transfer later. But the token is like, the act of giving is what's really important. I don't know. I don't know what the degree of all these things are. But if you can, and you have the time to pull cash and prepare it and bring it, I think there is meaning behind that. Like, I, the more I th- thought about it, I think there is like, of course, there's a convenience to e-transferring. Um, and perhaps that's where the world's going anyway, like a cashless world where we can't even give by cash in the future. But until then, until cash is a thing and until... I guess King Charles, King Charles III will be printed on our money. Like, we might as well give it, right? So if you can, yeah, prepare it. I think it's a, I think it's a very meaningful thing. But otherwise, you can e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. 
Uh, please join us for our fellowship. Um, at, that means food um, at the other church uh, this afternoon. Uh, if you need a ride, just let us know. We can definitely take you. Uh, the food, we have to cook ourselves, so we prepped it. Uh, I want to just give like a big thank you, round of applause. Thank you for, you know who you are. Yeah. I'm not going to give you more like attention than you deserve. Um, but anyways, uh, thank you for helping out. Uh, we had a couple people help out this morning uh, with the cooking and serving for the KM adults. And then last night, uh, yeah, big, big props to the people who came out and just kind of helped to prepare the carnations as well as the food. I know the rest of you who weren't there, your heart was there. I know all that, um, I think. Um, I'll just judge you quietly in my own heart. Um, written your names down in my book of death. But anyways, just kidding. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for all of you. But whoever came out, even more grateful for you, uh, especially on this day. But yeah, just thank you for uh, just uh, servicing and, and giving your time for that. I was really, really happy that I didn't have to cook it all. Okay, uh, there will be... Uh, for the DG leaders, a uh, short brief meeting today, um, following, oh, we can have lunch together, I guess, maybe like uh, at a table and we can discuss some things, so just be mindful of that. Uh, there is softball practice, so Aaron, Andrew, Moon, are the people you want to talk to. Uh, weather's fantastic, unlike last week, uh, so please join us for that. Uh, again, with the DGs, um, had a couple people ask, like, can we join? Like, I know it's in the middle of it. Absolutely, 100%, and we'd love to have you. Um, my goal ultimately is just have the entire church in a DG because I think it's church without discipleship and evangelism is like, I mean, are we living out that purpose and mandate that I'm talking about, right? So please plug in. Um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to discuss important biblical and theological things with your fellow brothers and sisters. A birthday, Jesse, happy birthday. I don't know where you are. There you are. Happy birthday. So my brother has your gift. And uh, he left it on his bed, so <laughs> I called him, and he was like, it's at home. I was like, well, why didn't you bring it? He was like, I forgot. So that's what happened. Um, that's the whole story. It's nothing, like, special. Um, so I'll bring it next week, uh, but your book is with us. Um, yeah, with that said, I think that's it. Um, we have a bunch of summer things that... Um, that some of the leaders are going to discuss in terms of like organizing, but we're going to need a lot of help to organize some of these things. So whether it be our retreat or whether it be some outings, we're also considering a men's and women's uh, separate like sort of time, like a conference or something. Um, just various, various different things uh, that are upcoming in our summer calendar, and we're going to need a lot of help. So just heads up, like if you're willing and able and you're free this summer and you have some time, uh, please join us for that. Uh, I know some of you are traveling to Chicago this week for James Park's wedding, so um, safe travels to you, and those of you who are already traveling, safe travels. Um, and also, I don't know if you know this, but June and Joy are getting married, like, next month, right? So, well, you don't have to clap yet. They're not married. Like, you clap in a month. Um, but I only say that because I've been in their shoes, like, literally, like, seven months ago, and, like, this is the time where it gets, like, kind of like, uh-oh, you know? Um, so if you, I mean, I think I can speak on behalf of the church. If you guys need help, please reach out. Yeah, just, we'll, we'll do anything. We'll, not anything, but like, we'll do a lot of things. Um, you know, whatever, ushering or helping out with anything at all. Yeah. No. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Go ahead.
Oh, that's cute. That's very, that's nice. That's nice. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Open invite. Okay, just bring everyone. Uh, <laughs> so he'll never know. <laughs> they're, they're new, right? Um, but yeah, so they have about a little over a month left of preparation. So if you, you know, uh, are able, please pray for them firstly. And secondly, like just offer your services if you can. And for you guys, yeah, um, best wishes. Okay, with that said, let's rise and end off the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We do need to cook the food when we get to church, so we need one team to do that. Kayla is banned from doing the dishes today, so no dishes for Kayla. And then everyone else, we need your help. So let's head on over and have some fellowship.